0: I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and now let's get it going with the Jack Riccardi Show. All right, Christian, good afternoon. Welcome to our dreadful little show. You can
1: join the show at 210-599-5555. So let's think out loud about what happened yesterday in Nashville, and specifically, I want to think out loud about the aspect of the story that some people think is the whole story. And some people are trying to make this aspect just go away. Just disappear it. And you know what I'm talking about. This shooter was transgender. And that is so confusing that yesterday, I, I have to, I have to say I'd be embarrassed, but I know I'm not the only one who was confused. I couldn't get it straight as to whether this was a biological man trans transgendering, transitioning into a woman, or vice versa. And apparently, um, a lot of people were confused about that. There was a lot of confusion in the news coverage. There were accusations that the Nashville police misgendered the shooter. Imagine in the middle of something like this, children are dead. Your, your angst, your ire is about the misgendering of the, of the shooter. Imagine that that's your worldview, that that's what you think is important in that moment. Anyway. But where does the transgender status, if I can use that word, of this person fit into the story? Well, we know that there was a group that had called for a National Transgender Day of Vengeance this week. And in fact, they had specifically mentioned Nashville. They had specifically mentioned the offices of the Daily Wire, which is based in Nashville. The main Day of Vengeance events are set for Washington, D.C. Now, I don't know that the person... Who did this yesterday had seen the call for vengeance or was responding to the call for vengeance. But what I do know is that if we went by the rules of the left, when there is a call for violence or action, and then someone takes action or commits violence, those are always connected. You can always blame the call for the action, Always. I'm not going to apply their rules. I don't live by their rules. But if I did, that would absolutely matter. I do think, from everything I've heard and seen, and just from the act of slaughtering children, that this is a sick individual. And I don't know what went into making this person sick, and neither do you yet. But I do think it's fair to ask, what kind of inputs were there? What kind of influences were there? I mean, it's always relevant in a story like this to know, where did this person come from? Where did this person get their influences, their ideas, what shaped them? You can say, well, I don't care. They're scum or whatever. I I understand that attitude. I'm not saying you have to care about this. I'm saying people who care about it, people who are trying to figure it out, people that are covering it journalistically, you, you you have to wrestle with where did this person come from. It is absolutely under consideration to say was this person given affirmation? Was this person given encouragement? Was somebody that was already... Unstable, made more so by whatever encouragement, counseling they got regarding their gender. Because we know that there are a lot of people who have come out, have come forward and said, This really screwed me up. This, re- I, 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 it, it's thrown me. My life is a mess. Because now I don't know who or what I am. So it's wrong to try to make that disappear. It's wrong to try to make that go away and say, oh, it's, uh, it's, we can't talk about that. We shouldn't talk about that. I'm not, I'm not extrapolating the actions of one person onto other people. Again, the left does that. I'm not going to do that. So I'm not saying that this reflects on or has some sort of, uh, uh, Stain on other people that are transgender. I, I'm not. I'm not saying that, but I think you have got to look at it, and I think you have to look at particularly what we're doing to young people, because you know when you're an adult, you have a certain resilience that's that's just usually based on. I guess I shouldn't say always, but usually when you're an adult, you have a certain resilience that's based on on some life experience, right? Like life kind of kind of toughens your husk. And I think you can wrestle with complicated ideas and you can reimagine yourself and do all kinds of things as an adult that I don't think you can do as a kid. I don't think it's safe to play with, to tamper with the inner core of a child. Who am I? What am I? I think that's dangerous. I don't think you know what you're doing. I wouldn't let somebody get under the hood of my car that didn't absolutely know what they were doing. They could make a... A little thing bigger, or make uh, a perfectly running engine, uh, a brick. Who are these people that are taking kids into their classrooms and into their schools, and secretly, and they're giggling about it on the TikTok videos? But they're, you know, they're secretly, oh, you can have a different name in here, and we don't have to tell your parents, and I'll recognize whatever gender. I mean, what what are their qualifications? Consider what they're handling. Now consider what that could do to somebody. And I think that's a very plausible thing to look at for this shooter. As far as the misgendering, are you going to tell me that the shooter is one of the victims yesterday? I mean, are you going to tell me that that that's a victimhood situation? Are we going to blame J.K. Rowling? Are we going to say that, and people are saying it, that misgendering is creating rage and frustration in the transgender community, and by God, you're going to see it come out? I've heard that take today. It's a terrible take. I've heard the take that because... Christian schools don't encourage or support these kinds of life choices. Maybe that brings out rage later on. That's what that's what we're that's what we're hearing. The the shooter is not a victim. Being misgendered is not comparable. It's not even in the same discussion with killing people. When trans people commit heinous crimes, and this isn't the first one. There was a trans gunman that shot a sheriff's deputy in Washington State the other day. I, I would think the rule would be, hey, uh, we're, we're going to deal with them the same way as we're going to deal with anybody else. We're not going to tiptoe around it. But I do think we should ask the questions, and, and a lot of people are already asking them. What, um, what are we doing indulging these deranged claims of genocide and the trans activists who are calling for days of vengeance. And how do we know that the people that are encouraging and enabling and affirming, do they know what the hell they're doing? Do they they take any responsibility for consequences? Or do they run the other way when things don't turn out well. Because they're loud and they're proud and they're in our face and they're demanding action and they're, you know, standing. But then when something like this happens, they're they're either nowhere to be heard or they're making absurd claims that the shooter was misgendered. So that's one of the things I've been thinking about today. And then I've been thinking about the fact that literally... When the story was just hours old yesterday, we had people calling for an assault weapons ban. And you know who they are, and I'm not going to go through all the, you know. We don't have to play the tape. It's the same people that always call for them. Now, this shooter, we found out yesterday from the police chief in Nashville. This shooter literally left a manifesto talking about the choice of the school because it would not have armed security. It would be a soft target. And speculating about another target, we don't exactly know which one that is yet, at least as of earlier today we didn't know. Maybe they've come out with it. But there was a second location the shooter had in mind and considered and rejected because it did have armed security. So you're going to tell me that good guys with guns don't matter, doesn't matter, no one needs them, when your shooter, the most infamous person in the country yesterday, actually said, I went to place A because there wouldn't be a good guy with a gun, and I didn't go to place B because there might be or there would be. And you're on a day like that, in the face of that, you're still going to call for uh, gun control? And then the third thing I was thinking about today, and I don't know if you've had a chance to see it or not. If you haven't, you, you may see it or you may choose not to. It's, it's pretty graphic, but there's body cam video of the, uh, Nashville police officers going into the Covenant School and, um, going through doors and charging upstairs and going into hallways. They're doing it, uh, I think with great precision. I mean, I wouldn't say it's reckless, but they're going in courageously, boldly and I'm sure by their training and um, when they arrive they say the shooter was shooting at police cars through the window when they go in they can hear shots being fired by the shooter and you watch as they go and they find this person and they take him down or her but my point is you, if you watch it, if you if you've already seen it, or if you choose to see it, you're gonna you're gonna think of Uvalde, and you're gonna think this is what it's supposed to look like. Is there that big a difference in the training, or was it the the people involved, or the leadership, or the lack of leadership? One of these officers was a four year. Uh, four years in, in service to the Nashville police. Uh, Metro Nashville police is the name of the agency. One was in for four years. One was in for nine years. Even the chief said, I, I am impressed by the leadership, by the, by the actions. And it just puts the whole Uvalde picture and that ridiculous Texas Tribune story about uh, how they couldn't go in because it was a war weapon. I mean, it just makes it look ridiculous. I'm going to warn you, the worst part of the video isn't what's on the video. The worst part of the video is how it will make you feel about Uvalde and that response. All right, Um right. We've always had, uh, there's always been evil, right? There's always been evil. There's always been sick, twisted people. Uh, we didn't invent that recently. But we've had some things happen in our culture that bear examination. And I just want to isolate a couple of them. I'm not saying these are the only inputs or the only things. I don't think we know, as we sit here today on the radio, you and I, I don't think we know all the damage that was done to human beings and their psyches and their psychological health and well-being by the, the lockdowns, by the whole covidian regime i think people like anthony fauci are horrible because they didn't know and they still don't know the damage they wrought, and they take no responsibility and show no even intellectual curiosity about it i'm not talking about the virus i'm talking about the the, the orders the rules the effect on people And let's remember that the probably the most vulnerable and affected people are, are the youngest people. And so it will be years before all of that plays out. Okay. If we, if we did a number on somebody's psyche in 2021 and he or she was 11 years old, it's going to be a while before we hear from them. God forbid. That's the first thing. Then the second thing is the thing we were referring to a few minutes ago. It's all fun and games to have rainbow flags in the classroom and talk about uh, how we're going to have a safe space for your the gender of your choice and so forth and so on. It, it's, it's all very avant-garde and experimental. And people like me are like throwbacks and Neanderthals because we're not with it. We're not current. By the way, I'm kind of proud to not be current on some of this stuff. Do the people that are encouraging, or as they like to say, affirming the gender choices of young people, do they, do they know what they're doing? Do they have any, like, does a, does a classroom teacher have any, any depth or training on that? No. They feel like they want to do it, and it may be where they're at, but, the, but they're not, they're not qualified to do that. They like to say that parents aren't qualified and, and, and I agree, as a parent, we're not experts at, at, at anything. But that is our kid. That is our family, that is our blood. If somebody's going to make a mistake, it should be us. And, and I mean and we do. But I mean I, I just think when you look at this Nashville story, and, and, and we're not we're not there yet as far as far as having the whole body of information, and we may never have all the answers, but I don't think you can overlook or, or at least afford to throw aside the, the, the fact that this was a trans person. That is not blaming trans people. That is saying, is this person who was obviously very disturbed and very sick and very twisted, did did any of that play into it, contribute to it? I'm not saying it did. I'm saying you cannot... Not consider that. And then, like I said, I I don't know what we've done to people. I, I think we see glimpses of it, and you may see it in your own kids or in people you know. I personally know people, and I have seen people who I think are not the same from being isolated, from being locked down, from being shut out from other social contact. And, you know, everybody's different. Some people didn't miss it. Some people missed it a lot. Some people... Breeze through it. Some people, it really got to them. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, so all of that, when things like this happen, as happened yesterday in Nashville, all of that has to be a rational person has to think about that, has to consider that. And, um, I believe in letting, you know, let, let the facts lead us. If there is a manifesto, as the Nashville police chief said, And if the person is saying, I looked at potential sites to attack and I avoided the ones where I thought I would be confronted by an armed security or an armed person, then you need to stand down on crying for gun control and weapons bans and blaming the gun. You need to stand down because that does not favor your argument. In fact, not only does it not favor your argument, it pretty effectively scuttles your argument. In the real world, targets are chosen. And they may be chosen emotionally. They may be chosen symbolically. They may be chosen opportunistically, like I just happen to be here. But they are also chosen. We see this time and again with school shootings, with other mass shootings, with um, other crimes. Targets are chosen for the likelihood of getting what the criminal wants or of getting away with it or of surviving it. And the gun control people would have you believe that's not a thing at all. That's just not a thing. There's no such thing. But there is. It's in black and white. Um, former President Donald Trump with a rally over the weekend in Waco, one of uh, the president's supporters here in Texas, joins the show now on the ktsa Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line, former Congresswoman Myra Flores. Uh, welcome uh, to the show. It's nice to have you on today.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So, um, first of all, I, I just want to kind of go back a little in time. Uh, I don't believe you and I have ever visited on the radio before. So how long have you been a Donald Trump supporter? How did you come by that? <laughs>
3: I've,
2: uh, I've, uh, I've been a supporter since he he ran for office. Mm-hmm. I've, I've always been a, a supporter of, uh, of President mm-hmm. Trump and, and under Trump, we had a, a strong economy. We had a secure border. My husband's a Border Patrol agent, so um, I know it, exactly how the border looked under the Trump administration, mm-hmm. and that's all I'm about. I'm, a, I'm all about a strong economy, and I just want that life that you know we had uh, under his uh, administration.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that's been a distraction uh, for the media, and I think they like the distraction, frankly, is they, they, they're really <laughs> they playing do. up Oh yeah, I mean they they're really playing up the the I don't know what you'd even call it, the rivalry, the competition, whatever between uh Donald Trump and and Ron DeSantis. And and I'm curious to know where how you feel about that because I must talk to a Trump supporter every day, congresswoman who says, "I like him, but I sure wish he would not attack Ron DeSantis."
2: You know I, I respect President Trump, and and I respect also Governor DeSantis. I think he's done an amazing job in in Florida. Um, you know, so it wasn't because of Florida, in New York, we wouldn't have the majority right now mm-hmm. in in Congress. So I mm-hmm. I really do uh, give Governor DeSantis a lot of credit for that because he did an amazing job with redistricting in the state of uh, of Florida. I respect both. I respect, you know, President Trump, and I know what America looked like when he was president, and mm-hmm. I know he got the job done, and that's mm-hmm. the reason why I support him. But I, I see um, Governor DeSantis also as the a, as a future as well.
1: Mm. And so if he is the future, isn't it damaging to the future? Isn't it damaging to the, the kind? In other words, in drawing more people into the tent... And people like you, isn't it? Isn't Donald Trump forcing them to make a choice they shouldn't have to make? As you just said, you have Trump, you have DeSantis. Why can't they both coexist as they do for people in the real world?
2: I, I agree. I, I think that it's so important that you know we come together. We we shouldn't be you know uh, attacking um, each other. Um, I I understand, but at the same time. You know, I, I don't know what President Trump uh, has gotten through. I know that, you know, he helped him uh, get the governor uh, seat in, in Florida. And I know that he was there for him uh, as well. And I, I, I believe that now it's, it's uh, Governor DeSantis' turn to, to support Governor uh, President Trump as well.
1: So you're of the mindset that the right thing for Ron DeSantis to do would be to wait, uh, until after Trump has had one more run,
2: yeah, I believe that uh, Governor DeSantis should be uh, supporting uh, President Trump, just like President Trump uh, supported him when he uh, ran for governor. You know, if if you ran on um, President Trump's endorsement, <laughs> I think that we, sh- you know, you should uh, return the favor.
1: Okay. We're talking with former Congressman Myra Flores right now on KTSA. So um, I agree with you that if if he just ran, if if all he talked about, President Trump, if all he talked about was the economy and the border, um, man, that would be a powerful, irrefutable uh, message. When he talks about some of the other stuff, like like at the Waco rally, uh, I didn't see it, but I understand he played some of the J6 uh, video. Um, Is that a good idea?
2: You know, I'm, I'm focusing on, the, on, on his policy, you know, and, his po- and and I believe that his policies were, were good for our country. Um, even, I do uh, agree that, you know, January the 6th shouldn't happen, but I think it's just also a distraction. Let's just focus on, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> taking back our country. I think that the Biden administration, what, what they're doing to our country is just unforgivable. Uh, the border is just it's a mess here we have a serious crisis we have millions and millions of people crossing illegally every single day our border patrol agents are exhausted they can't track down everyone coming in into our country we've had over a million gotaways these are the most dangerous individuals child traffickers drug traffickers those on the terrorist watch list we currently have under our custody Terrorists under uh, the watch, under the watch yeah. list. That it's happening right now, T- totally aware, agree. But just in, 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 to that Juarez, just last night, thirty-nine migrants yes. died, were burned. Yeah, thirty-nine.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, I really, I think these. the focus really so, needs to be. It, it, it is a humanitarian a, disaster to pursue the policies of this administration. It isn't just a different yeah. approach; it is getting people killed.
2: It's it's horrible. I mean, I immigrated to this country, you know, and I want every child to have the same experience I had coming Mm -hmm. into this country, not go through the abuse and the trauma that children are going through right now. Children are also being sold into child sex trafficking in the United States. Children are also being exploited in the work labor as well. We criticize China for doing it, but it's happening in our country as Mm -hmm. well. I mean, Americans are struggling to pay their rent, their mortgage, their groceries, their gas. It, all this is just a distraction. And we need to focus on the American people. We need to run on kitchen table issues that everyday Americans care about. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. at times, put politics aside and put what's best for the American people first. Mm-hmm. That is That should be the, the top priority.
1: mm mm-hmm. Well I would agree with you but that that does go both ways. I mean uh I everything you've said everything you've said makes sense to me and and I know you believe it but if <laughs> if I listen to somebody who makes Ron DeSantis sound worse than Joe Biden, I'm thinking maybe this person doesn't really get how much we're hurting out here because Ron DeSantis is not our enemy. If the worst thing you can say about him is he should wait his turn, that's not the same thing as Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Nancy Pelosi, and the intentional way that they're taking this country down.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, governor DeSantis is not our enemy. He is actually an amazing governor um, and has done amazing things in, in Florida. And if we had more governors like him, we would have a stronger a stronger country. Um, and even amongst us Republicans, we're not always going to agree on everything. But I also believe in, in, in loyalty. And if you ran on mm-hmm. President Trump's endorsement Mm-hmm. and he helps you get in the position that you are in today, you should return that and in, in support uh, President Trump as well. You had a lot of members in Congress right now that ran on President Trump's endorsement. Mm-hmm. And yet, where is their support for President Trump right now when he needs it the most? So You were okay running and winning the primary mm-hmm. with president trump's mm-hmm. endorsement, but now you're not supporting him so, I, I so your rule, your rule would, would be if you take
1: if you your rule would be if you take his endorsement uh then you were obligated to support him uh when he runs again
2: you're not obligated you know absolutely you're not forced to, but it says a lot it says a lot. Because if you were willing to take his endorsement and run on his endorsement, and you won that primary on President Trump's endorsement, and now you don't want to support President Trump. Mm -hmm.
1: But, I mean, you do have to allow, you would would have to allow, right, you'd have to allow for, I mean, I understand the, 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 the concept of loyalty, but loyalty can be broken, to, and, and it could be broken by the actions of the person that you're loyal to. I'm sure there's something if Donald Trump did X that would change your mind. I mean, you're, you're not saying you're with him no matter what, right?
2: Absolutely, 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 and I I, I agree with what you're saying, but um, I don't believe he's done anything that um, he he does that he shouldn't deserve our our right. support.
1: Is it, we can agree is it
2: to conce- disagree on a right. lot of things. Um right. and, and that's okay. And I think that we um as Republicans we need to understand and be respectful and mindful of each other that even even though we're Republicans, we're gonna disagree sometimes mm. and that's okay. That's the that's the beauty of the of this country. Mm. I the this divisiveness doesn't do us any favor. Even amongst us Republicans and Democrats, I think that it weakens us as a country. I think that the goal of of the media has been to divide us and for us to stop talking to each other. And that hurts our country.
1: All right. Well, I'm glad we finally got to talk. Uh, Former Congresswoman Myra Flores, good to have you on. I hope you'll come back again. And thanks for the time today.
2: Thank you so much. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.
1: God bless you too. Uh, she was uh, with the former president of Waco over the weekend, and with us here on the KTSa Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. I like Myra Flores, but I got to tell you, I, I think there are people that were voted for Trump, wanted him to be reelected, were disappointed to say the least that he was not. But it's possible to. To feel that way and to have felt that way and to believe what you believe and to believe that 2017 to 2020 were, was a good, strong period. And it's, it's possible to say, but I've moved on. It's possible to say, but I've had enough. And I don't get the loyalty uh, argument because in fact, every president of both parties endorses Uh, the lion's share of members of Congress, of governors, of other elected officials. The endorsements are like, they're, they're, they're given out like, like, you know, like candy. Anytime a president has a, a rival or a challenger in his own party, there's a very good chance that he's endorsed that person in the past. So I don't, I don't think that rule, you can't just cook that up now and say, well, no one can run if, if he endorsed them. It's really more of a news story when a sitting president doesn't endorse. Now I know what they're saying with DeSantis, and this is true. When DeSantis ran in 2018, there was a field of Republicans. He was not the leading one. He was, um, he was, a, he had been in Congress not long, but for I think two or three terms. He had uh, been in Congress. He was in this pack of Republican candidates. There were, there were a couple of better-known people running. Adam Putnam was one of them. And uh, Trump and his people believe that the endorsement from President Trump of Ron DeSantis vaulted him to the head of the pack, thus enabling him to win his first term. Uh, that's fair. Is that an argument for DeSantis not to run now? No, I, I don't think it is. But I get what people are saying. When I hear that, though, all I can think of is the Godfather. Are we, are we saying that, you know, it's about loyalty? Because, you know, that's... If you're going to be honest, and I'll go first, I freaking hate loyalty. Loyalty. When you see people supporting stuff you know they don't like because it's their party. There are Democrats doing this. There are Republicans doing it. Biden is an example of it. Biden doesn't even believe half the stuff his administration is doing, but it's the democratic way. It's what we're doing. It's, it's what they want. I'm, I'm going to give them what they want. So no, I'm not a fan of loyalty. I, I my 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 take on this is uh, Trump's made a lot of bad choices. And if he has lost some people, and I know he has, uh, that's as much on him as on anybody else. And so while you might say, well, I'd really like uh, Trump to get another term and then DeSantis, I, I understand a lot of people want to arrange it that way. Um, But you can't. These aren't like pieces on a board that you can move around. Uh, I don't think the loyalty argument's a strong argument. And I, I'll give her credit. I mean, she said... You know, he he does deserve credit where credit is due. I just wish he would wait. So we're going to talk to uh, Ed Garza from the SAISD Board of Trustees this half hour. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're supposed to vote next month on a huge uh, salary increase for the staff. Yep. And um, when are they voting on our huge salary increase?
0: Do you know? I just want to put it on my calendar. Uh, Let me get into my calendar and find out when that is. That would be the 12th of never. Uh, Um,
1: I got to say, and I don't want to drag you into an opinion thing, but I got to say, and now we're only 24 hours in, everything I'm seeing out of Nashville officialdom Mm -hmm. is very impressive to
0: me. You mean as far as the response? I mean everything.
1: I mean, we've, we today we have the the video, which mm, yeah. is the polar opposite of the whole Uvalde thing. Yeah, nobody yeah. standing around, nobody playing with their phone, no hand sanitizer. Um, it looks like a training video to me. But then I look at the police chief and his direct answers. No, unadorned by politics or anything. I look at the rapidity with which they've revealed details and been forthcoming with the investigation. They just, they just don't care about anything but
0: doing the job. And that's really great to see. I don't know why they would. Cause in their line of work, really the only thing that matters is the facts. And that's it. How did it happen? A,
1: uh, yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, it would always be this way, but you and I know it isn't. I mean, it just it often isn't, and and I'm just I'm impressed. I think they've I think they've got themselves some good people there.
0: Yeah, I would have to agree, and it's a it's a you know it's a horrible story, but the most you can hope for at times like this is that the it, it, like you said the response clearly that's how that is supposed to be done if, God forbid, something like that happens. And so you can sit back and say, well, you know, had they not responded, that could have been worse, always could have mm-hmm. been worse. Mm-hmm. But the most you can ask for is is the prototypical response uh, by law enforcement to save as many people as possible. I think, I think they did that. Mm-hmm. And as you said, the response coming out of law enforcement, you know, you know, post-shooting has been direct and appropriate
1: i mean i just think we've heard a lot they've been they've been as forthcoming as you can be given that you can't say everything and you're still going through stuff but i think they've been as forthcoming as you can be in a story like this and sadly we've
0: seen a lot of them so we have a lot to compare it to well i would toss this and what really surprised me earlier this morning one of my colleagues came in and and i saw the video that's been released uh, the actual body cam footage Yes. yes i'm surprised that we're seeing this already because, yes, unfortunately we've had a number of these shootings. I've seen no footage of anything, right, right. So, maybe, well,
1: I'm sure part of it is that there's not obviously there's not going to be a trial, um, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's part of it, and, and, and I'm sure part of it is also that 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 video is affirming of the professionalism and the and the bravery that we, I guess, took for granted before Uvalde, and then found out you can't. You might so. be right, yeah. Um, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll talk to Ed Garza from the SAISD board coming up here in about 10 minutes on KTSA, San Antonio's News Talk radio station, 210-599-5555. Um, speaking of the, uh, presidential campaign, we were just talking with Myra Flores about, uh, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. Uh, former New Jersey governor Chris Christie, uh, gave a speech in New Hampshire yesterday. Uh, suggesting that he might run for president in order to uh, block Donald Trump, you better have somebody on that stage who can do to him what I did to Marco Rubio, because that's the only thing that's going to defeat Donald Trump. Christie said at Saint Anselm College in New Hampshire. Uh, what do you? Th- where are you on Chris Christie? I, I, I remember years ago I was definitely a fan. He, you know, he was a very unexpected, uh, kind of governor for a Northeastern state. Uh, he had that kind of, you know, take no BS from nobody kind of attitude. I just, I I liked the whole, the whole kind of package there. And, and and yet, I don't know now. Maybe it's me. Maybe it's him. Maybe it's both of us. Now he's like nails on a chalkboard. So. He's basically admitting that he took out Marco Rubio, which is nothing to brag about. And now he thinks, Chris Christie thinks, he's going to take out Trump? Chris Christie, who got like less than 1%. In what universe are you you getting that? What, What gives him the idea... Listen, I think the only thing that stops Donald Trump is Donald Trump. I don't think it's going to be somebody else up on that stage. There will be others on that stage, loyalty or not. And yes, he has, obviously, he he has his detractors everywhere. But he also has something going for him that that Trump supporters don't like to talk about, but, but... I think if you're if you're honest, you'll you'll see where I'm going with this. He is the the biggest star in politics, and the media, no matter how much they pretend to be offended by him and afraid of him and fascism and the scourge of fascism, that they they want and they need the ratings that he brings. They are rooting behind closed doors for him to go as far as he can go. They want to match up, they want their, their people, their side, to match up against him. They don't want him to be president. They just want him to be the the Republican nominee for president. Then they'll make sure he doesn't actually get in there. But my point is, that's really uh, in his favor, as much as he likes to attack media coverage and so forth and so on. And, and, and I mean, I understand it, but... The, the, they're actually going to give him, just as they did in twenty sixteen, all the the free media they can. His his worst enemy is stuff he says and does that turn people off who were with him. And I meet them every day. I was talking to a guy yesterday, and I he's a this guy is a died in the wool conservative. I mean, he is down. He's a hunter. He's an outdoorsman. He's a gun owner. He's I mean, he's, he checks every box, and he was totally. Enthused about Trump, and nothing knocked him off of that and he's not squeamish about you know the the positions that Trump took on the issues it's not that I mean have people want that, but he's just tired of the of the personality stuff and the name calling and the ease with which Trump is distracted and so and so he's like i I'm looking for somebody else. I'm ready to. I'm ready to move on from him. That's the biggest enemy, Trump. Not not Chris Christie. Good grief, Chris Christie. I, <laughs> I mean, who is telling him this? Yeah, you need to get in there. You're the you're the Trump killer. You're the one. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. We'll uh, get you in here. Uh joining us now in the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line is uh a member of the San Antonio ISD Board of Trustees and former mayor, Ed Garza, as that board considers one of the largest uh salary increases in the recent uh history of that district. And also joining me as we talk
0: to him is our uh, news anchor Christian Blood. Christian. Thank you very much, Jack. And it's good to talk to you for the first time.
4: Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having us.
0: Listen, I wanted to ask you right off the bat, we're seeing some big figures here. Twenty million dollars on this proposed compensation package looks like quite a bit more than what's being offered now. And as I understand it, this is possible because of cuts that have been made, I guess, in the central office. And I was wondering if you could kind of elaborate on some of those.
4: No, definitely. Our superintendent, Dr. Aquino, and board have been working hard the past few months trying to find efficiencies within our existing budget uh, on the operations side, on the human resources side. And uh, through that effort, they've been able to not only identify enough cuts, but uh, cuts that I think were uh, that we can we can afford to do and not in, not affect the the instruction that's happening in the classroom. The more we can do on the administrative side and less in the classroom, the better off everybody is. So it's it's been a, a long effort prioritizing what is most important and uh, coming up with a plan. That I think uh, we looked at different options last night, but I think we have one compensation option for teachers and our support staff it's roughly just under 20 million dollars that we we believe we can not only afford to do for this next year but looking over the next five years
0: can you put into perspective what a teacher's paycheck would look like when we start to individualize the impact if you will
4: well it will vary so unlike previous years where we would do a general pay increase across the board we are gonna do that this year. or That's one of the options we're considering. The one that, that seemed to have the most support last night was a 3% general pay increase across the board. But then for teachers uh, looking at a, a pay scale adjustment that would be scaled. And so our objective was how do we retain those teachers that have been with us longer uh, to give them the incentive to stay with our district, especially now post COVID There's a shortage of teachers. There's a shortage of everything, it seems. But particularly for teachers, we know that we have to keep these teachers, try to get another year or two, three years uh, out of our most veteran teachers because it's it's becoming more difficult not only to replace teachers, but to train and develop, and and that's an additional cost. So we have looked at a philosophy of doing the 3% across the board, and then for teachers, looking at a a scale that depending on how many years you've been with the district you would see a quarter percent increase based on each of those uh, arrangements so it was it would be a four percent uh through year five i believe and then a quarter percent increase for each year that they've been here beyond uh, year five all the way up at cap at nine percent so some teachers could see uh, those that have been with us the longest a nine percent Uh, pay adjustment or a pay increase on their on their uh, on their pay stub
0: jack you want to chime in yeah i'm curious
1: uh edgarza about um why seniority would be so important i mean just anecdotally you often see uh some of the most uh compelling teachers the ones that are cited by students as being the most influential and inspiring are sometimes younger ones and those are people who without a lot of vesting might jump to another career or go to another district so why would this plan be so um, weighted towards seniority
4: well the the past several years in fact probably over a decade it has been at the starting teacher salary where we've given that emphasis and so we were at the bottom of Bear County we were probably at 15 or 16 out of 17 counties 12 years ago in terms of our starting teacher salary we're now depending on what other districts do over the next couple of months we're now number 2 or 3 in starting teacher pay about fifty six, fifty seven thousand, 57000 depending on circumstances. But for teachers that have been here 20 plus years, they were only making five or six thousand more than a starting teacher. And so they were going to other districts that have already adjusted their uh, pay for experience. and, and, And it's really about a balance. You want to have uh, experienced teachers and you want to have new teachers on a campus because that mix is what really creates some some interesting energy at each campus and so we were behind for those that have been here longer and so it just didn't make sense that teachers that have been here 20 plus years were making five to six thousand more mm. than a start teacher
1: mm-hmm. christian's
0: yeah and if you don 't mind uh, you know, they're talking about this being one of the largest increases or the largest proposed increase in a quarter century. Can you elaborate because there's obviously been increases, but this is a big one
4: yeah we've we've tried to keep up with inflation, but as we all know, these last two years that's been hard to do, and so it's been more difficult for teachers to and support staff to be able to to uh, not have to get a second job in today's economy. And and most of the teachers are already more stressed than ever before uh, with all of the challenges that have happened after the COVID pandemic going from virtual to in-person. So you have all of the challenges that we saw teachers were just taking early retirement. They just didn't want to stay. And so we as a group said, how do we make an impact? How do we send a statement to teachers that we value them and uh, those that have been with us longer than five years, we, we don't want to have to retrain a lot of new teachers. We want to uh, reward those and let them know that they're appreciated. And so this is a bold uh, move by the district and our superintendent and staff and campus leaders all believe that that our teachers and support staff are worth it. We're going to try to catch up on some of the compression for some of our some of our uh, non-exempt employees and support staff because they too have been left behind, uh, not keeping up with inflation. So we're going to do our best uh, regardless of what the state does uh, this session, because I know there's, the, there's several bills that are looking at compensation for teachers. Uh, and so we want to make sure we're ahead of the curve and we want to make sure our teachers know that regardless of what happens at the state, we're going to find a way to, to make it happen this year.
0: Good stuff. Jack? All right.
1: Well, um, former Mayor Ed Garza, now a member of the SAISD board, we appreciate your coming on with us uh, tonight, and we look forward. I believe the vote is next month, right?
4: It'll be in June. We have another presentation next month, but I believe our final adoption of the budget will be uh, right at the end of the school year, leading into next school year.
1: So is there an opportunity for more public input on this between now and then?
4: Absolutely. We've had a number of, of meetings, public meetings where we've received public comment and uh, we've had uh, campuses that have provided input. Uh, this has been also discussed as part of our strategic plan, our always learning strategic plan that we just concluded that had stakeholder meetings all across. SCISD. So our superintendent has really done an excellent job engaging our community, not just at the campus level, but those that are not even related to the campus and trying to get as much input on the values that we have. We're going to have more tough decisions to make in the future. This is just a moment in time. Uh, we've got you know an enrollment that's been stabilizing, but for the last 10, 20 years, it's been declining. And so we're going to have to look for more efficiencies and yeah, uh, we've even talked we want San Antonio ISD to have the the best uh most valued teachers in the state of Texas. We're gonna have to make some more tough decisions in the months and years to come.
1: All right. Ed Garza with SAISD, thank you. We appreciate it, Christian. Don't forget you can also get us as a podcast. Listen anytime to full episode podcasts that you can get at KTSA.com or just look for the Jack Riccardi show anywhere you get your other podcasts. Two ten five nine nine fifty-five fifty five Manny. Is on the Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Manny.
3: Hey, Jack. Thanks for uh, taking my call. I appreciate it. Yes, sir. Hey, I just wanted to chime in on the, um, the teacher uh, kind of situation. So I was married to a teacher. She taught for about three years. <laughs> and eventually she left the profession. Um, just she got burnt out. And you know, while I'm, I'm, I'm excited that they're going to get potentially more, more money, as they should, I'd also be curious to know, like, what are they doing as far as, like, the time part of it? That was the part that really my wife and I thought about a lot was that, you know, she worked a lot on after hours. You know, Saturday was basically all lesson plans and Sunday was all grade and paper. So there wasn't a lot of work-life balance outside the school. So I'm just kind of curious what they're they're doing to allow some of these teachers to, like, during the school hours – write papers, get that work done so they can have a little bit of balance outside of the school.
1: I wonder if it was always like that uh, or if that is more about all of the bureaucracy and teaching to the test. You know what I mean? Like when we went to school, not maybe you, but like when I went to school, I think teachers were more in control of their curriculum and their lesson plan and so they they weren't also doing the star testing and the stuff that I think really gobbles up a lot of time, and maybe that's why, as you say, they're having to put in nights and and weekends because if that's true uh, then 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 maybe that's the culprit i mean has it always been like you're describing?
3: Yeah, you can pay someone seventy eighty thousand to be a teacher, but if they still have the same schedule. You know, as you know no, right. That. I agree
1: with you. No, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm just wondering if the reason it takes more time now is because your 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 teachers today are not just teaching their subject, right? Sure. They're having to do all yeah. of this other test prep and the school is worried about the star score and you know. And I've had teachers say, look, we're spending an entire month on this. To get them ready, to get the numbers up. And so nothing else gets done. And that's gotta, that's gotta be a factor, right?
3: Gotta be. I would think so. Yeah. Good point. But I also, I, I, I gotta
1: say, I'm not too keen on the idea that the longer you stay in, that necessarily the more valuable you are. Because like during, during the distance learning, it was my experience that on average, the younger teachers did a better job with the technology uh than the older teachers and and I don't mean to generalize if this you know there's there's exceptions to every rule, but and, and then when you look at like the teachers to whom the kids respond, sometimes it's the younger, more innovative, energetic teachers. And you could have somebody that's been there a long time but is kind of clock watching, right? And I don't think a formula that just says, well, the longer you've been here, the more we're gonna give you is a great formula. I just I'm sorry, I don't think it is. C-
3: can I share something real quick? Yeah. So my wife, during those three years, told one of her students, oh, well, she got a, a Facebook message from a student. This was like two weeks ago. It was crazy. The message said, dear Miss So-and-so, you were, I believe you were my teacher uh, at this school, but she had changed, you know, a different last name now. She said, I will always remember you told me that one day you'll be the, you'll be a valedictorian in your school. And she said i would be happy to tell you that today I am the valedictorian of victorian wow. school wow you know and she that's your point young teacher was in it for about two years high energy passion love for the for the profession she made a meaningful impact on yeah. that student so yeah thanks Jack I appreciate your time sir
1: thank you manny appreciate having you um yeah I, I mentioned this the other day I was at an award ceremony for my daughter um and the way they recognized the uh the kids that won the honors was Uh, It was for SUMA graduates, and each SUMA graduate brought on stage with him or her a teacher they chose from all the teachers they'd ever had to uh, recognize and say, you know, uh, the reason I've had a successful uh, uh, high school uh, period, the reason I've had good grades, the reason I'm achieving, the reason I'm dreaming is because I had this teacher who was my, you know. And it was all different things. It was coaches, it was teachers, it was music teachers, it was tutors, it, it, some kids picked a kindergarten teacher, some picked middle school, some picked a teacher they currently were were taking in senior year but but I noticed there were a lot of young teachers a lot now I'm not running down age or experience. I'm older than dirt okay i you don't need to tell me about the value of experience i i, I I'm all about it i'm all, I'm with you but I know in any profession, including mine, there are people whose age and experience isn't necessarily worth anything. If the fire's gone out, if they haven't stayed current, if they are riding out the, you know, putting in the time, riding out the the clock, that I, I wouldn't pay more for that. And conversely, I think you're missing an opportunity if you have somebody like Manny's wife who in their in their early years the flame is burning brightly, and they're excited, and they're fired up, and their kids get it. And you remember when you were in school, if you had a teacher who seemed excited about the material, sometimes it made you excited about the material. That's very often the, I mean, and that's the X factor that the district can't impose that, you can't teach that. That's just what you bring uh, to the profession. So 210 599 55. I, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, am not sure I'm sold on that formula that we're gonna, you know, in, uh, basically step the increases in SAISD to experience. I know that's what people expect. I know that's done a lot. I'm questioning that orthodoxy. I don't think that's good orthodoxy. And, um, and, and I don't know how you, maybe there isn't a formula. I mean, maybe there isn't a, uh, an easy way to do it, but I think you have to be able to evaluate people that, are the most valuable, not necessarily the most, uh, tenured. Uh, I asked the question about why is it, why does it take so long? Uh, Jana wrote to me, um, Jack, both my parents were educators all of my life growing up and they still worked all weekend on schoolwork. Maybe it was just something they preferred to do, but that's what I recall. Yeah, I don't know, um, Maybe teachers have always had to put in the nights and the weekends and stuff like that. And if so, then I guess there's nothing that can be done about it. But if that is a, a more recent sort of trend, um, I, I would definitely look at, at why that is. And are we, do we necessarily need that? Like, is there, is there busy work? Is there bureaucracy? Are we squeezing too much into, you know, onto their uh, plate? because i saw that too i've i've, I've had teachers in my family and i've i've seen what uh you know what he's describing 210 599 we're talking about uh nashville we're talking about teachers um this boy there's something like this every day so this this woman named barbie bassett is apparently out of out of a job uh she worked at a television station in uh, mississippi She was their chief meteorologist and an anchor. Uh, A few weeks ago, she was on their morning show, and they were doing a story about uh, how Snoop Dogg has a winery. In other news, Snoop Dogg has a winery. And um, they were kind of laughing about it. And she said something um, in which she was actually quoting Snoop and apparently did not know uh, the meaning of what she was saying. I'm going to play it for the context. Okay, I, I, I realize you may not want to hear it. She, she Again, she said this and seemingly did not know that she shouldn't be saying it. Cut number two. I think that'd be pretty cool. Well, we know it she'd have a
0: snoop Dogg tattoo on her shoulder. A, shizzle, a nizzle. <laughs> I'm telling you. Julie, what do you think about that?
3: Huh? She says. <laughs> so I don't think your I
0: don't
1: think your coworkers uh got it either. Um but the word she used is um a racial epithet or version of the N-word. And you know, I mean Snoop can say it, but Barbie Bassett cannot say it. So um, they took her off the air. They took her off their website. Um, I don't know. If, I don't know if she's fired, but she's certainly not working. And so the question is: Did she know what she was saying? Should she have known what she was saying? Or is this one of those things where you just go, "Hey, Barbie, next time, uh, just just see so you know, don't I wouldn't you know just correct it." And and leave it be. You know you may have gone too far. When even Whoopi Goldberg is coming to your defense, kind of, kind of coming to your defense. Listen to this, cut number one.
5: Y'all need to make a book <laughs> of stuff that no one can say. There has to be a book of stuff that nobody could ever say, and then we could all study ever, ever, ever. Then the book include, would be banned. Include everything. Include, include everything because I tell you the things that change you yeah. can say this but you can't say that but next week you might not be able to say this it's hard to keep up it's hard to keep up and if you're a person of a certain age this stuff we do and we say you know what I'm saying <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, and and, 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 and it's also- you have no idea until somebody says, oh, by the way, yeah, you should know that just because we're on television, wherever we are, whoever we're talking about, just because we're on television doesn't mean we know everything. Mm-hmm. We don't mm-hmm. know everything you're not supposed to do. And if there's something someone says, if you're not going to give them the opportunity to explain why they said it, at least give them the grace of saying, you know what? I, I've just been informed that I should not have done that as opposed to your. Yeah. Because you say you're
1: out. I'm worried because I'm a. what? What is happening to me? Whoopi Goldberg is, is making total sense on this. I, I agree. I mean, e- even if there was a book, <laughs> they'd have to change it every day. Every day. It's not like grammar where the rules stay the same, it would be changing every day. It would have to be a binder that you could insert pages into. Um,. Now, just to put a little context, uh, old Barbie's been in trouble before. She was apologizing to uh, viewers last year when um, she was talking with one of her co anchors, who's um, African American, and referred to her grandmother as Grandmammy. She then apologized uh, to viewers, saying her word was insensitive and hurtful. And she took training to, quote, better understand our history and our people. So that may have also piled on to Barbie's troubles when she came out with uh, the Snoop reference. Charlemagne the God has a nationally uh, syndicated radio show um, called The Breakfast Club, and they were talking about it, and he was defending uh, Barbie Bassett as well. Cut number four.
5: Our Mississippi news anchor got fired because of this
4: dog dog tattoo on her shoulder. For shizzle my nizzle. <laughs> I'm telling you, Julie. What you think about that? Huh? Oh. Oh, <laughs> Got fired for what?
5: For shizzle my nizzle. <laughs> she can't say for shizzle my nizzle. I oh, I guess because nizzle is a derivative of. Yes. I, I, I'm saying that in context. I didn't mean to say. No, it. you said it. You no, said the I'm not no. using that word. You already did. But already I was did. using it in context. That's why. I don't know if if that's I don't think fireable because she
3: didn't. She, it's for shizzle, my nizzle. She might not even Does know it? what
5: nizzle means, yo. I'm not, like, come on, we got like stop, man. That's not a reason to fire that one. No, she has been fired. Did she did she release a statement? No, not as yet. <sighs> that's the thing with hip hop, man. Hip hop is so big and so mainstream, and it's just like who who can consume it and who can't. You know what I mean? She's been there for twenty plus years. Who
1: can? That's a good question, right there. That that really is. I think that really is a good question. So if if you accept the fact that um hip hop music is is now a, a mainstream part of the culture and it's it's in commercials for products and it's everywhere, um, then why are we suddenly acting like we're shocked that some news anchor in mississippi is is trying to sound a little with it um and, and i mean how would we figure out who can say it and who can cuz they're saying it right so it seems kind of stupid it seems like something that it, even at, at most maybe you would just shoot her an email hey let's not use that or we we'd be we we prefer you didn't but i mean it's it's so not fireable and I'm not a, I don't know this woman. I've never heard of her. I don't, maybe I wouldn't like her if I lived in that town, but it's just so ridiculous. And, um, I was talking about this with somebody, uh, and, and in our business in broadcasting. And I said, you know, I think for a lot of these companies, it's just easier to fire people. They don't want to see where the story goes or how long it will last or how much it'll blow back on them. So the firing is just, Like what you do to make it go away. I've told this story before, but when I first started in radio in college radio, I was I was a hip hop disc jockey. I mean, that's what I that's what I was playing on the air. That's what I was playing in the clubs. We didn't even have that term. This was the you know mid to late eighties, but that's that's what it was, and it was me and it was this other guy named Dan Charnis who um I met in college and became really good friends with and we were kind of yin to each other's yang musically he knew some stuff I didn't know I knew some stuff he didn't know we ex- we we helped each other kind of expand our our uh our musical universe I was on Friday nights he came on after me and we would trade records back and forth and break artists and break you know so Dan went on to write a book about 15 years ago, which I highly recommend if you're into music and the music business is one of the best books about the music business I've ever read. It's called The Big Payback. And it's about how hip hop became big business. And the reason I bring this up is because of what Charlemagne the God and his crew were saying about this Mississippi TV anchor. Basically, it's 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 a triumph, okay, if, if you're a hip-hop artist, if you're part of that business, it's a triumph that somebody like Barbie Bassett in Mississippi knows who the hell you are, knows who Snoop is, no, no, because that wouldn't have been thinkable 30 or 40 years ago. And as Dan breaks down in the book, these artists, who were coming out, you know, we're talking now about, you know, the, the artists that mainly were like breaking in the 70s and 80s, they had to knock on a lot of doors and they had to learn the business and they had to become their own business. When they couldn't get accepted by record labels and radio stations, they had to figure it out on their own and they did. And that's why they're so rich now because they wound up owning everything they control because they didn't get a record contract with RCA or Columbia they now have much more control over their product and much more money, and I'm I'm giving you the short version of his book, but I I would think that if in twenty twenty three an expression that Snoop Dogg popularized is now like in common usage, I would think the number one person that would be happy about that would probably be Snoop. So why are we firing her? Are we firing her because she didn't know what it meant? Are we firing her because we're just afraid somebody will be upset? Was anyone actually upset? I've told this story now to several people just to see what their reaction would be. I have yet to find anyone who's like, oh my, oh, really? Oh, I can't believe? You know, In the real world, that's not a thing. So no, I'm not saying you should go around throwing the word around, but I'm just saying... It just seems like we've gotten to the point where the easiest thing to do in any situation is just fire somebody. That's kind of crazy. You know, like, is that the meeting? What should we do? Well, just fire her. It'll be easier. it will go away. 210-599-5555. Speaking of that... Can, can I add
4: two cents here? Oh, in yes, her? Don. I'm sorry. Go I, was, ahead. I was just kind of curious because at one time, back in the day, I guess, when this phrase had come out, it was somewhat innocent, I think. Because wasn't it somewhat uh, kind of a way of saying for sure? Or well, something let me say like this.
1: That? Let me just say this. Mm-hmm. If you've played those lyrics on the radio, then I'm not sure how it becomes verboten for her to say them. Mm hmm if If you know i I think it's a separate issue, did she know what it meant? Probably not, but when you have hip hop in sprite commercials and General Motors commercials and McDonald's, <laughs> com- a lot of people are hearing that music and that culture that really don't know it, but aren't aren't you glad that that's happening? I mean, isn't that what you wanted? I mean, if you're an artist, if you're a songwriter, if you're a producer, if you're uh a rapper, I mean, you've gained mainstream acceptance. It's everywhere. And they taught. He talks about in the book the big payback. He talks about how it was a big moment for like Sprite to use this music in a commercial. They 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 were scared to death, or McDonald's, or Cadillac. They were scared to death. But then they realized, okay, this people are people are okay with this. And now you walk into a department store, or you walk into a, a, a coffee shop, or you walk into a restaurant. It's it's everywhere. So I don't know why we're. I don't know why we're not just saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is an overreaction. Um But tell me what you think. 210 599 5555 I mean, I I'm all about I I, I care about people's feelings. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And somebody comes to me and says, You're hurting my feelings, I I want to do something about that. But I think we're I think we're way overreacting and jumping the gun. And we're not we're not allowing for the moment of correction or redemption, which is such an important thing, right? I mean, h- how do I get better? I learn from my mistakes. Well, I can't learn from them if I can only, I can only make a mistake and then be fired. So we touched on this last night. I wanted to ask you about this too. It's, it's not really directly related to this story, but it's a story about a, a woman named uh, Mary Eberhardt, who, um, is an author I really like. She's, she's an author and a scholar and she, um, has um written a lot about faith and about catholicism and um she decided she had been invited to speak at a um at a university and um there was going to be uh protests and she knew that so she decided not to go she canceled her appearance and the way she explained it was that um you know she she's she's done many speeches she's given many speeches she's written books as i mentioned but in her op-ed piece in the wall street journal she says when she found out what happened to a previous speaker um she decided um that she didn't want to go through that because in her mind, when you let the woke left scream and protest and demonstrate and get on the news over your speech, that strengthens them, that amplifies them. So we used to say, don't let the hecklers have the veto, don't let the hecklers silence people. But her take is, I'm not going to let the hecklers Get publicity and feed off of my appearance. I'm just going to cancel it. So it wasn't that she was so worried about physical violence, although it was there, but she said, I didn't want to lend myself to their big lie. I didn't want to play along with their game. What do you think about that? Cause I respect her tremendously. And I, and of course it's her choice. I'm not here to. Tell anybody what to do, but, um, she's basically saying we're doing this all wrong. When, when we, when we show up and get heckled and there's a big news story about it, all that's doing is strengthening the hecklers, the cancelers, the mob. If I just don't go, they don't have an event to protest. They don't have a lot of, uh, Selfies to take and video to post and virtue signaling. It it doesn't happen. I'm, I'm, I'm basically, I'm cutting off their oxygen supply is what she's saying. What do you think about that? Is that a, is that a decision you'd like to see more of or do you think she's got that wrong? And she goes on to talk about, um, you know, it would be dangerous if we all cloister ourselves with like-minded people. But she says the activists will not be content to live and let live. And, um, we can't win the battle by flying sorties of free thought into enemy territory is how she put it. Uh, 210-599-5555. So we have the, anchorwoman uh, anchor woman in Mississippi bounced for her Snoop reference. We have the, uh, guest lecturer, Mary Eberhart saying, Eberstadt, excuse me, saying, I'm just not going to go to these college campuses anymore because I think we should not feed the beast that is the mob. Is that a good decision or is that letting them win? I guess they really haven't won if they don't know they've won, right? Like if they, if they don't know what they're missing, they're not missing it, right? Oh, and then there was this story today. Um, have you heard about this? Lubies is in the news. Lubies. I actually, I have to admit, let me confess first. I thought Lubies were on their way out. I thought they've been on their way out for years. Seems like every time you hear about Luby's is that they're going out of business or they've been sold or they're closing restaurants. Well, they they are apparently still around and they are apologizing tonight for a promotion. They're promoting a ham dinner special that they promoted with the message Luby's Hamber Alert. Hamber Alert, an Amber Alert is the system for missing children. Uh, After uh, hearing about it, they issued a statement saying, we believe in owning our mistakes. We really apologize for the insensitive language and our recent promotion. We will do better. You know, on this one, maybe I'm overthinking, maybe I'm too cynical, but... um, I sometimes wonder if when companies do stuff like this, I mean, that's really stupid. It's just, just, it's not, it's not, it's not atrocious. It's just stupid, but maybe they mean to do it because maybe they think having some sort of, uh, social media blow up makes them seem edgy, like this is guerrilla marketing. Like the real promotion isn't the Hamber alert. The real promotion is that we're going to be in the news because we're going to apologize. So like we want the firestorm of criticism. We expect it. And then we'll score with our, you know, sincere, earnest apology. And it makes us look like we've got our social media game going on here. I mean, just who would think that there's something funny or clever about tying into an Amber alert? I mean, come on. And in other news, Luby's is still open. So, 210 599 5555 And, and we've been talking about, uh, about Nashville. Um, there was a story. I just saw this a little while ago. Let me pull this up. Um, the school shooter's parents. This is uh, at washingtontimes.com. Nashville school shooter's parents said the 28-year-old hid multiple firearms from them because Hale was being treated for an emotional disorder and they didn't want uh, her to own the guns, police said today. Hale, who police shot dead Monday during the school shooting, had legally purchased several guns from various local stores. Metropolitan Nashville Police Chief John Drake said the firearms included the three that were used at the Covenant School, but there were also others at the house. Hale's parents told authorities they knew about one of the guns but believed it had been sold. They did not know, they claim, about the other ones, and say she was under doctor's care for emotional disorders and they felt she should not own weapons. So, it's interesting to me that a twenty-eight-year-old is, um, you know, does something like this, and we're asking, "What did the parents know?" I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to run anybody down. It's fine to live with your parents. It's fine if you move back in with your parents. It's fine if you get along great with your parents and they love having you there and all that. But, but, they're generally, and again, don't take this personally. Generally we're just extending adolescence further and further and further into the 20s and maybe into the 30s. I mean, I I get it. Every situation is different. But good grief, 28, we're going to the parents? But we keep hearing um, doctor's care, psychological treatment, emotional disorder. At some point, the lines of those things are going to cross with being transgender. And that's a moment of reckoning that not everyone is ready for and not everyone wants. But there are hard questions about what it means to a person to not know who they are, to not have anything definite. I mean... I believe we're all growing and uh, you know all of our lives until we die we're changing we're evolving we're growing hopefully we 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 learn our whole lives hopefully we're open to growth our whole lives but don't there have to be some some absolute truths don't there have to be some things that we that that are not subjective but are objective and, and I, I believe in order to grow as a person, to become the person you are, you have to start with some, some sort of fixed point. And if we're telling young people, and I don't know what she was told or when she was told it, but we, we see a lot of young people today being told that nothing in their life is objectively true. Nothing is biologically true. Everything they're being told is just a choice. It's a feeling. And I think that's incredibly dangerous. First, for the person you're telling it to. Because they don't have any anchor. They don't have anything to hang on to. But then I think it might be dangerous for society. Now again, I don't know. I'm not saying I do. But I notice a lot of people don't even want to explore this. What is the connection or the nexus or what, what part did the gender confusion of this person play in what they did? I, I'm not blaming transgenders. I there isn't anyone to blame but the shooter. But if we care about people, we ought to care about what influences them and, and who influences them and how they're influenced. And if we claim, as we always say we do, that we never want anything like this to happen again, you gotta you gotta be honest about what emerges, what we find out. Will, will we follow this wherever it takes us, or are we unwilling to look at certain things? Or some people are unwilling to look. Oh, you shouldn't even bring that up. They shouldn't even mention that that that, that she's transgender. Well, really, why? Because if she did anything else, if she if she won a spelling bee or participated in a sport or wrote a book or uh, sang a song or if if she did anything else, was appointed to the Biden administration. If she did anything else and was transgender, we'd never stop hearing it. So you can't now say, "Oh, but don't talk about it in this context." That's not that doesn't make any sense, and you're not going to get away with it. TSA News Time 637. Um, see how you voted in the J.R. poll. You know, I saw this story uh, a day or two ago. Stressed out students bailing out of college. Um, college freshman Sophie Wakefield says stress from taking virtual classes almost made her drop out this year. She learned that her classmates had considered dropping out, too. Moving to college and making new friends while balancing online courses and a heavy workload was hard, says Miss Wakefield. Difficult for her to replace her high school friend group after arriving at some little college in San Diego that she's going to. Oh, San Diego. That sounds like hell. Oh, no. Attending college in San Diego just sounds horrible. Survey published by Gallup and the Lumina Foundation found that two out of five undergraduates say they often experience emotional distress at college. More than forty percent of twelve thousand undergraduates surveyed had considered dropping out in the previous six months. Now, I'm not mocking. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not mocking. But there was a time when going to college, getting accepted to college, getting to go to the college you had dreamt of or chosen or in a really cool place like San Diego. I'm sorry. What Stress? This is what you've been working toward. This is what you wanted. Or is it? Is this not what you wanted? Did Did they just kind of put you up to it and you went along with it because you thought you had to? I'm trying to understand this because um again I'm not mocking it but the stress for me when I was that age was am I getting into the college will I be able to pay for the college but going to to college was that was what I wanted to do that was what what my family wanted me to do that was what I wanted to do what is what are we doing to people what is happening that what used to be considered a privilege right the The privilege of, of higher education now. Oh, I can't, I can't take it. I can't do it. It's affecting my mental health. I'm trying to be open minded about this. I, I have to tell you though, where my, where my head is going is I wonder if we're just labeling everything that's challenging as if it's stress. You know, not everything that's hard is necessarily bad for you. Are we using the term stress when what we really mean is work? What we really mean is it's a challenge? I mean, I I guess Camp Lejeune would be stressful. I guess basic training would be stressful. I guess um, training for the Olympics and the sport of your choice would be stressful. I I guess... I guess we're using that word not only in the mental health sense, but in the sense of anything that's hard. And when I think about these 12,000 young people that they surveyed, and again, I don't, I'm not hating on them or anything, have they considered what it would be like to live in a war zone? Have they considered what it would be like to live in a, a village where there was no water? or um they didn't get to eat every day and, and and again we all need perspective and i need it i constantly need to look at things and go hey you could be a lot worse or it could be a lot worse i do that too we all do it but i just i kind of wonder about it i mean i know we've talked in the past about whether higher education is right for everyone and it it, it isn't I know we've talked about whether we're pushing it, and I think we really are. I, I, I truly believe there are kids in high school that think they have to do this because everyone expects them to do it, and because it would be hard to explain even to their own parent or parents why they just don't want to go to college and they don't think they should. And I bet there's people that call this show and agree with me on that. But then if their kid told them, "Yeah, I don't want to go to college. I want to do," you, you'd have a complete. Freak out. What? Okay. So let's just, but but putting all that aside, if you're an undergraduate, if you've been accepted, and you get to go to college, and again, this young lady they're talking to is going to a school in San Diego. Stress? I don't know if that's the right word. What will happen Later on in life, I mean, college prepares you to go to work. You're going to work. There'll be stress at work. I don't know. 210-599-5555. I mean, I I, I grant you that there are different things going on today than when I was there. I'm not making an apples-to-apples comparison, okay? Very different. It's probably best if young people today don't even know about how we had it. (laughs) They probably would be. They'd be even more stressed if they knew. But I mean, I, I get we've done a lot to them. We've layered a lot on them. We've the, the COVID, the technology, the, the economy. I, I get it. But again, you think about like the you know the Greatest Generation going from receiving their diploma to sitting in a troop transport crossing the Pacific young people that had never been out of their town were suddenly in Asia or Europe or Africa. If you're going to a community college in San Diego to which you applied and wanted to go, is stress the right word for that? Maybe it's like adjusting or a challenge or, you know, 210 5555. 55. I'll tell you what I would find stressful. I think I would find stressful today in college if 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 I had to go today, if I had to be uh I don't mean if I went at the age I'm at now, which is 108, but I mean if I was 18, 19 now and I was going now, I think the thing that would be most stressful now would be having to resist indoctrination and having to um, navigate classes and even entire departments run by people that not only hate what I believe but are trying to get me to regurgitate what they believe and you know the the age-old question is if you're If you're a conservative person in a liberal classroom, do you keep raising your hand and raising your objection or do you just tell them what they want to hear, get the grade, move on? That to me sounds like that would be the the hard part of all the things that, that you would, that I think you would encounter. That to me would be the hard part, but do I really get that students two out of five? Can't take it? And if you're in the education business, what does this tell you? (laughs) Isn't this kind of a problem? I mean, in any other business, if two out of five customers are like, I cannot use this product, I think you'd have a meeting about that, right? Might be a memo. be a Saturday meeting. It's the Jack Chat line. It's 210-599-5550. And, and it's really for, um, anyone to use. It's, it's basically like a voicemail box. You can use it when you listen to our show live. You can use it if you're listening to the podcast, which means you can't call in because obviously it's not live. You can use it even if just like, you know, let's say hours from now, uh, something pops into your head, germane to one of our topics or you think of something you wish you had thought of earlier or you wish you had said. Jack should know this. Jack should have said that. Just call this number, 210-599-5550. Leave your first name, your town, and your comment. And try to keep it to a minute or less if you can. And we're going to play those back. We'll play some tomorrow. Uh, but the Jack chat line is always open, 210-599-5550. On the JR poll, are you a Chris Christie fan? The former New Jersey governor says he may run for president next year to torpedo Trump. Remember, he used to be a big Trump guy, but now he does, now he isn't. I just find it hilarious that Chris Christie thinks he's so politically potent that he could have that effect. 95% said no, they're not Chris Christie fans. 5% yes. The um, president took heat for making some ice cream jokes yesterday, even after he had been apprised of the shooting in Nashville. I, I, I'm not really looking to trap him on that issue. I just find his fixation with ice cream interesting. Cut number five.
5: My name is Joe Biden. <laughs> I'm Dr. Joe Biden's husband. And I eat his ice cream chocolate chip I came down because I heard there was chocolate chip ice cream. By the way, I have a whole refrigerator full upstairs. I think I'm kidding.
1: Um, No, I don't think you're kidding, Joe. I believe you. Vice President Kamala Harris is in Africa. Her office put out a playlist of music that is uh, by African-based artists which would be the most patronizing thing ever if it was anyone other than Kamala Harris uh, doing it. She also took time while in South Africa to praise the uh, construction and development of what will be one of the world's largest telescopes. And she said this, cut number six.
5: In South Africa, part of the world's largest radio telescope is under construction which will help answer some of the biggest questions of humanity, about galaxies, about gravity.
1: Now, I am not strong on science, but I don't think I understand how a telescope would help us learn more about gravity. First of all, what, what do we not know about gravity? I thought we pretty much had that covered. Are we, are we done with gravity, or are we still, is that like still an open field? Like, Are there people delving into gravity? I thought gravity was done. Like we know it, we got it. Principle of gravity, we're good on that. Close the book, which makes it sound like we're still learning about gravity. Like if we if we peer out into the cosmos, I don't. Th- I think gravity's right here, isn't it? Again, I could be wrong. I'm not. You know, the science guy. But how how is the telescope going to help us with gravity? I don't know. I'm not too sure about that. Um, she does seem to. Um, maybe she should be a teacher. You know, we were talking about teachers earlier. She does seem to get very teachery. She can't talk about anything without it sounding like she's explaining it to small children. Uh, This was a clip uh, a while back. She was talking about uh, launching astronauts into space. Cut number seven.
5: Which brings me to May 30th, 2020. Bob and Doug returned to the Kennedy Space Center. They suited up. They waved to their families. And they rode an elevator up nearly 20 stories. They strapped in to their seats and waited as the tanks beneath them filled with tens of thousands of gallons of fuel. And then they launched. Yeah, they did. (laughs) Oh, my God.
1: Between her with the the little whisper giggle thing and Biden's whisper what is all the whispering? What is it what is all the whispering? The Biden Harris administration has set the all time record for whispering. Has there ever been more whispering? I don't think so. And I feel like when they're whispering, that's actually when we probably need to hear them the most. Uh, Cancel Culture, another update for you on that. Uh, We were talking the other day about Roald Dahl, right? And before that, the Ian Fleming novels, the James Bond novels. Uh, The latest classic works to be revised, Agatha Christie, the Queen of Crime, who wrote bestsellers from the 1920s until her death in the mid-70s, and was at one time the most published woman in history. I think she had that title for a long time um they are now going through her series of novels with private detectives like hercule poirot and miss marple to remove references to race gender ethnicity etc as well as words like native which are being replaced with local so like i said um Get yourself to a used bookstore, get yourself to thriftbooks.com, get hard copies of books that matter or you think ever will matter because that's the only one they can't scrub, at least not so far. I'll see you back here tomorrow starting live at 4.